deeper than the kind of darkness that comes from just turning off the light. This dark felt oppressive. I remember feeling the darkness in that room, a supernatural darkness, a demonic darkness. Hey there! If you believe in God and aren't really sure what to do with that belief, or if you personally know Jesus and want a deeper relationship with Him, then this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Middleton, and welcome to the BookCast. Welcome to Chapter 5! Today's chapter is really a continuation of my story from Chapter 4, So if you have not listened to chapter four just yet, I encourage you to do that first to understand this portion of my story. However, if you skipped chapter four purposefully because you don't feel emotionally prepared, then I welcome you just the same and pray a special prayer over you in your own healing journey. While this chapter does not have descriptions of the abuse that I went through as much as chapter four does, I still want to echo the encouragement in chapter 4. If you feel anxiety, depression, or any amount of unresolved trauma bubble up to the surface, I urge you to seek professional help. This book is not meant to take place of the invaluable work of therapy and counseling. I also want to say that just because I talk about and seek a restored relationship with the person who abused me does not mean everyone should. Sometimes it is not safe or wise to be in the company of someone who has hurt us. Please don't take my conviction and desire to reconnect with this person as the standard for healing. Each journey is unique, and in this chapter, I only want to highlight the consequences of my unforgiveness and disobedience. And again, I want to remind you that this chapter comes from a point of forgiveness and healing. It is not meant to bring revenge on my male family member, but to bring to light the incredible work God has done in my heart. This healing has come from years of processing with safe people, multiple Celebrate Recovery step studies, sozo prayer, and continual forgiveness. God can bring healing in so many ways, and I'm so thankful that He has walked me through this hurt. He has shown me how to let go of bitterness and shown me who I am in Him. God continues to show me the truest thing. From the song Sparrows, written by Corey Asbury A heart that's planted in forgiveness doesn't dwell in the past. So why should I be? Chapter 5 The Victim Identity I speak from experience on this one. Are you familiar with the term victim mentality? People living with this mentality tend to consider themselves a victim of the negative actions of others without any thought of nuance, circumstances, or the possible personal responsibility they may have. Individuals who struggle with this way of seeing the world continue to behave as if they are victims, even when the offending party is gone, or even in the face of evidence that might show that they themselves are the abusers. I want to suggest that it is more accurate to say that when this happens, we live with a victim identity 
not just a mentality. A mentality is a way of thinking. An identity, however, encompasses not just a way of thinking, but also how memories and experiences are perceived and processed. An identity affects how relationships and values are formed, and identity touches a much deeper level of our being. A victim identity is when we choose to live out of a place of perpetual hurt. We choose to see the world through the lens of our woundedness and through that perspective of our pain. The victim identity comes from us placing our identity in the fact that we were hurt. We were wronged. This victim identity becomes the truest thing about us. The fact that we were the victim becomes the most important part about us. And so, we feel entitled to our bitterness and unforgiveness. It feels like we are justified in holding a grudge, and that feeling starts to creep into our identity. The identity of being a victim takes root when unforgiveness spreads violently in our minds and begins to take over how we see the world, how we see others, and how we see ourselves. I speak from experience on this one because that is what happened in my heart and mind when I chose not to forgive a male family member who harmed me. Growing up, a male family member began to sexually abuse me. Inappropriate kissing and touching occurred, but by the grace of God, it did not last and was not severe. What was worse than the small amount of sexual abuse was the mental manipulation that came after it. This family member would control and blackmail me with threats of exposing what I had done with him. The phrase that he would use as his manipulation tool was kiss, kiss. If he said kiss, kiss, I knew that I was supposed to give in to what he wanted. Otherwise, he would tell my mom about how I had done inappropriate things with him. Now, I know that I was not to blame and that this abuse was not my fault. But back then, when my parents' high regard seemed to be worth more than anything, I didn't want to see them angry or disappointed in me. So the mental abuse continued. Years later, after the manipulation and blackmail ended, I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to forgive this family member, but I chose not to listen. And when a moment of reconciliation came while on a walk with this person, I chose to throw this abuse in their face instead of listening to the Holy Spirit and forgive him. In that moment, I chose to say, kiss, kiss, instead of, I forgive you. When I chose to hold on to that grudge, I picked up the identity of a victim instead of a victor. While I had no personal responsibility for what happened to me, I refused to see the situation through anything but my own hurt. I felt entitled to retribution and wanted to blame him for my pain and problems. This spread into other areas of my heart as well. From then on, it seemed like I could find something or someone else to blame for my own issues. When unforgiveness tore through my heart and clouded my relationship with God, I could only see myself through the lens of what others did to me. 
I no longer lived from a place of identity in Christ, but identity in the hurt that I felt. I lived from a place where the most important thing about me was my hurt. I could only see what others did to me instead of what my God did for me. This brought a sense of entitlement. I felt that others owed me. I felt that the world owed me. This affected how I saw situations and people, especially how I saw that family member who had harmed me. Our friendship was never the same after I echoed his own words of kiss kiss back to him and chose bitterness over reconciliation. Sometimes it is not wise to reconcile with someone who is not safe, but this was not one of those times. I knew that God was prompting me to forgive, but I disobeyed and held a grudge anyway. By choosing to not forgive when God prompted me to, I lit the match that my family member used to burn the bridge between us. The Long-Term Effect After my family member tried to reach out, but I threw his abuse in his face, that family member and I had an awkward yet decent friendship. However, we both could feel the change from the moment I said, kiss, kiss. From that moment, he tried his best to extend kindness and friendship to me. I think that he could feel the hardness of my heart and the expectation I had of him owing me. I could almost feel him trying to earn my forgiveness and acceptance through gifts and time spent together. However, he could never pay me back enough to satisfy my victim identity. In his attempts to connect with me, I would receive his gifts, but it did not change my perspective or how I saw things. It didn't change my victim identity because I still held unforgiveness in my heart. Eventually, I was able to forgive him. I eventually listened to the Lord and finally chose forgiveness. But unfortunately, this eventually was too little too late. The softening of my heart came after the window of reconciliation closed. Not that everyone should attempt to mend a relationship with an abuser, but for my situation, I have always known it's something that God and I both want. But by the time I was ready to forgive, he was on a sharp mental decline. Everyone in the family could see changes in this family member's behavior. And as time passed, the symptoms of his poor mental health worsened. But because of the unforgiveness that I carried and the victim identity that I chose to cling to, I did nothing to help. I think back now and see how God told me to forgive and act in love, but I chose bitterness instead. Perhaps God could have used me to bring encouragement and love to him and the family, but instead, I left him to flounder, stranded and alone. It wasn't until I began to press into my relationship with God and find my identity in Christ that my heart finally softened towards this family member. 
I finally could see how much I had been forgiven of, so I could finally forgive him in my heart. But I didn't approach the subject. Out of fear of rejection, I didn't reach out and apologize to him for my unforgiveness, even though I felt a strong pull from the Lord to do so. The feet of my heart weighed a thousand pounds, and my still hard heart was unmoved. During this time of dragging my feet to forgive him, this family member's declining mental health became more and more obvious. Unhealthy drinking habits began to surface, and the downward spiral intensified. While I found healing in Jesus and finally forgave him, his mental, emotional, and spiritual state took a steep nosedive. Even though I know in my head that his mental health is not my responsibility, I can see how the bitterness that I held against him still affected his heart, and I could not fix him. The Apology I Never Wanted The next Christmas, during a family gathering, this family member and I began to talk about what happened between us when I was little. By this point, his mental health had suffered greatly, and arguing with him seemed to go in endless circles. I honestly don't remember much about how the conversation started, but what I will remember for the rest of my life is how it ended. Sitting in a dark room in shock and disbelief as he apologized for what he did to me. However, this torture laced apology seemed to bring condemnation instead of restoration. It brought forth pain instead of healing. I could hear it in his voice that something inside him had cracked. Anguish came flooding out of his mouth and in the tone of his words as he admitted to the wrongs he had done and how he had hurt me. This apology was what I had wanted for so long. I had wanted him to see his wrong and feel the pain of his choices deeply. But now that this moment was here, I realized that it wasn't what I wanted at all. I heard in his voice how much pain it had caused him, and any residual feelings of resentment vanished from my heart instantly. God finally softened my stubborn heart towards this person, but it was too late to salvage our friendship. My unforgiveness was the match that this family member used to light the fire that burned down the bridge of any hope for a friendship. The darkness in that isolated room during a Christmas gathering seemed so complete. Even though we should have been able to see the street lamps that lined the quiet neighborhood or the lights from the neighbor's fabulous Christmas display, I don't remember any light coming through the windows. No light bounced in from the other rooms in the house that were lit up with family and laughter. Deeper than the kind of darkness that comes from just turning off the light, this dark felt oppressive. I remember feeling the darkness in that room, a supernatural darkness, a demonic darkness. After the torturous apology poured out from the mouth that had once manipulated me, I tried to say that I forgave him. I tried to douse the raging fire that consumed the bridge between us, but by that point it was too late. As the words, I forgive you, came out of my mouth, 
I heard him cry from the other side of the darkness, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. This declaration drowned out my words that should have come long before. I could hear his voice crack from agony, and I knew that tears streamed down his face. Not tears of healing, but of bitterness and self-condemnation. He didn't forgive himself, so how could he accept my forgiveness? My forgiveness came too late for him, and it brought judgment, not healing. My forgiveness was worthless to him because he felt worthless himself. I had deemed him unworthy of love and forgiveness, and he believed it. The victim identity had now come full circle and was transferred to him. He now was the one who would not forgive. He chose not to forgive himself for what he did. He chose not to forgive me for rejecting him, and in turn, he could not accept forgiveness for himself. I had a front row seat to watch his mental and spiritual health come to a crashing and heartbreaking collapse. He still clings to the victim identity now. Family tells me that suicidal comments sprinkle his talk of the future, but not enough for them to be able to help or act on it. He's too smart for that. Even though he has lost hope, I choose to believe the promise that God will restore him. I choose hope. I once chose differently. I chose not to forgive him. I deemed him unworthy of my love, unworthy of God's. Now, more than anything, I wish I could convince him of his immense worth in Jesus. God continues to give me supernatural faith for his restoration and has continued to place in my heart the constant belief that the Holy Spirit will reach him. Even when my heart fails and I listen to the lies of the enemy that say this person will never be restored, God gives me vivid dreams of his restoration. I now choose life and to believe and pray in faith that the Holy Spirit is working on him and that he will be restored. Learning from my mistakes Until heaven breaks through in his heart, And until it is safe to reconnect with him, all I can do is pray and look back to learn something from all of this. It has taken me years of healing and self-forgiveness to learn and straighten out several things. One is that what happened to me was not my fault. I was a simple child and didn't understand what was truly happening to me. I've also learned that forgiveness does not mean having to maintain a relationship with them. Right now, it is not safe for me to have a relationship with this person, so I keep my distance. Each situation is different, and for me, I would love to have a restored relationship with that person once they are healthy to be around, but that should not always be the case. As I look back, I also learn that forgiveness is not a feeling. It is an act of will. I could have chosen to forgive, even when I didn't feel like it. I could have chosen to live out of the forgiveness shown to me by Father God and given that to this family member. I could have chosen to place my identity in Christ and in being forgiven, but I didn't. 
Instead, I chose to live out of the hurt and victim identity that I clung to. I now see how that not only has harmed me and my identity, but also harmed that male family member as well. I can trace their mental health decline back to that moment in time. Not the darkened room in Christmas time. No, it began long before that. The moment I see as the start of their decline was that day we went for a walk. That moment I chose bitterness instead of forgiveness. I know Satan was working hard on both of us that day. I know that ultimately the blame for this situation falls on the enemy of our souls, but I played a part in it. Another truth that I've had to learn, not just in my head but in my heart, is that the mental health of that male family member is not my responsibility. While I am responsible for the disobedience and refusal to forgive, the blame for their mental health decline does not rest on my shoulders. It rests on Satan's. I now claim the forgiveness found in Jesus, and the guilt of my unforgiveness is washed away. But in my heart, I sometimes wonder what if I would have chosen to forgive. I also think about that night at Christmas time. I think about feeling the darkness pushing against my eyes as I heard from across the room the agony in my family member's voice. I think about his words, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. I wonder if he responded like this out of feelings of worthlessness and because he couldn't forgive himself. Sometimes that can be my own attitude towards the forgiveness of God. Even though he so graciously forgives me, in my sense of worthlessness, my heart sometimes cries through tear-stained cheeks, I don't care. I believe this feeling of worthlessness comes from a belief that a person's worth is based on what they do. When we choose unforgiveness, we choose to see others as unworthy of love and forgiveness. When we choose unforgiveness, when we choose to see others as unworthy of love and forgiveness, we also see ourselves as unworthy of love and forgiveness. And that's when our hearts respond to God's forgiveness with those three words, I don't care. We have a choice. We can choose forgiveness or bitterness. We can choose love or unworthiness. We can choose life or death. Whoever it is we need to forgive, we can make that choice. Who to forgive. We've talked about how vital it is to forgive. Now I'd like to take a moment and talk about the different people who we might need to forgive. Unforgiveness can pop up in any relationship. If there is a friend, family member, or acquaintance you can't stand to be around, that might indicate that forgiveness has an opportunity to take place. The sudden tightness in my chest and not in my stomach at the sight of someone is enough to indicate to me a need for forgiveness. That hurt and resentment found in my physical body shows me that my heart is operating out of a victim identity in that relationship. So, who are some people that we hold grudges against? Parents are often people we need to forgive. 
In my own experience, I have learned that parents can cause some of the deepest wounds. For those of us who have had a good or decent relationship with our parents, it can sometimes be difficult to admit that we need to forgive them. But the truth is that even if our parents did their best to raise us, their actions sometimes hurt us. In this particular situation, I've had to forgive my parents for not being able to protect me from this trauma. It's not that they were bad parents. It's just the result of living in a broken world. By admitting that there is pain there, we can still honor them and find healing in Jesus and forgiveness. On the other hand, for those of us who experienced rejection, neglect, or even abuse at the hand of our parents, then it can be difficult to forgive simply because of the deep pain there. For those of us who have gone through that, I want to encourage you by saying that forgiveness does not mean excusing their behavior. Sometimes with deep wounds like these, we feel that if we forgive them, it means that we say what they did was okay. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Forgiveness means that you see how deeply that person hurt you, but you choose to release them to Jesus and not hold it against them. These deep wounds of abuse, neglect, and rejection require healing, and one of the steps in the healing process is forgiving them. Old friends and lovers can also be a source of bitterness and unforgiveness. When faced with the opportunity to hold on to unforgiveness towards my old best friend, it still felt like one of the most difficult things to do. I didn't feel like forgiving her, but because of my experience with this male family member, I chose forgiveness and began the healing process sooner. I believe that it is because of this choice to forgive that I have little to no lasting trauma from that friendship. Friends and old lovers can leave a lasting scar on our hearts, but forgiveness can help heal that. Other people who we tend to hold a resentment towards can be our spouse. As we walk with and just live daily life with them, it can be easy to see the faults of our life partner or see the hurts that they have caused. It can be easy to hold on to that, but unforgiveness always damages our hearts. And I believe that holding a grudge against our spouse damages our hearts doubly Your spouse is part of you, one flesh. So holding unforgiveness against your spouse is like holding unforgiveness against yourself. Speaking of holding unforgiveness against yourself, sometimes we can hold a grudge towards ourselves. For me, I have had to learn how to forgive myself for choosing bitterness. It's easy to see our own faults and feel like we never can forgive ourselves. Self-condemnation can disguise itself as righteous and feel like the right thing to do. But in reality, when we choose to hold something against ourselves, we do not act out of our forgiven state that God has so graciously given us. It is because of His mercy and love that we get to accept the forgiveness of Jesus and release ourselves from our own punishment. 
It may seem counterintuitive, but forgiving ourselves can be the beginning of living a life of forgiveness. Living a life of forgiveness also extends to things other than individual people. Believe it or not, we can also hold grudges against businesses, churches, and even whole people groups. My heart has struggled with some of this bitterness in my life. There have been many times where it has been easy to hold a grudge against an organization instead of individual people. Somehow, holding unforgiveness against an organization can feel better than the unforgiveness against a specific person. In my life, this more general and vague bitterness is more difficult to detect. I've experienced and heard of so many wrongs done by some organizations that my heart feels so heavy just thinking about it. But even in these heavy situations, forgiveness is still absolutely necessary. For our own growth and healing, forgiveness towards organizations is vital so we ourselves can heal and grow forward. And lastly, let's talk about how sometimes we hold grudges against God. We don't like to admit this last one. It's not that God sins or does anything that requires forgiveness. It's more that we hold him responsible for situations or events that we don't understand. This was my attitude when first working through the hurt of infertility. Mentally, I wanted to deny that this unforgiveness ever happened. But in my heart, I held him responsible for the bad things that happened and the hurt of waiting. And I did not want to forgive him for it. Let me speak from experience in this area. In order to heal and fully restore our relationship with God, we have to first recognize this unforgiveness and move on from it by releasing forgiveness to God. That forgiveness can be the catalyst to true heart change. Bitterness and unforgiveness can be the root cause of so much of our pain. It can cause us to lose touch with our relationship with Jesus, and in the realm of identity, this loss of connection with Jesus is detrimental. Unforgiveness can cause us to disconnect from our true source of identity, but also can cause us to lose our connection with others. Holding on to bitterness can even cause other issues to take root as well. In my own life, I've seen deep issues like depression and anxiety traced back to specific instances of unforgiveness. We are not ourselves when we hold on to unforgiveness, and we do not act out of our true identity, our forgiven identity. When we choose not to forgive, we give the enemy something to work with as he attacks our view of ourselves but it is within our power to take that ammo away from the enemy. We can choose life. We can choose forgiveness. The Choice of Forgiveness I pray that you choose forgiveness today. As I mentioned earlier, what I have learned from this situation is that forgiveness is not a feeling. If it were a feeling, I think I would live in bitterness forever. 
even though the abuse that I experienced was not as severe as it could have been, I still recognize and acknowledge the pain, and I recognize the even greater need to forgive. Forgiveness doesn't mean I excuse the behavior or say that what they did was somehow okay. It just means that I release them from the expectation of owing me something. I let go of the victim identity and forgive them, not because of what they have done, but because of who I am in Christ. Because of this, I have learned that forgiveness is a conscious choice and a lifestyle. Forgiveness is a difficult yet vital step in our growth. We must tell our hurting hearts over and over that we forgive whoever has hurt us. And sometimes it takes a long time for our hearts to catch up to that choice. Some days I feel like forgiving, and then the next day it feels like I'm back at square one. That doesn't mean that my forgiveness did not make a difference. This just means that there are more facets to the situation to forgive and heal. But for our own growth, we must choose forgiveness again and again and again. That isn't to say that forgiveness is the only step in healing, but I believe it is a big one. So right now, I want to make some space for us to possibly take that step of healing. If you feel prompted, let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and help us make this courageous choice. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this space right now. We breathe you in and ask that you would surround us. Even as I read this and even as this person hears it, we say, Come, Lord Jesus. Let's make some space to allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind someone we need to forgive. So go ahead and pray with me like this. Holy Spirit, is there someone I need to forgive? Please bring them to my mind right now. What specifically do I need to forgive them for? Did you see, hear, or sense anything? If you got something, I want you to take a moment and meditate on what God revealed to you. Feel free to pause your reading, and whenever you're ready, play the next paragraph. The following prayer is a mere guide to give a general outline that might make it easier to take this step of forgiveness. There is nothing vitally important about the word order or choice of words, just the heart behind it. So feel free to make this prayer unique to you. During this prayer, whenever you hear the words, this person, I want you to name specifically whoever came to your mind that you need to forgive. And when you hear the words, their actions, Go ahead and specifically state what you are forgiving them for.
We are choosing forgiveness. So even if your heart hasn't caught up quite yet, even if you don't feel like forgiving, I encourage you to take a step of courage and a leap of faith. I promise that the healing and freedom is worth it. Pray this prayer with me. Father God, I choose to forgive this person for hurting me by their actions. Jesus, I no longer hold judgment against this person for what they did to me. And I choose to release this person in Jesus' name. Amen. That is a big deal. I don't want you to miss the importance of that decision. Take a moment to meditate and really let go of the unforgiveness. Focus on how it feels to finally be free from that bitterness. Feel the change in your heart as it softens. Let the Holy Spirit seal this freedom with Jesus' blood. You choose to forgive. You choose to be free. And that is amazing. I'm going to pray over you, so please receive this next prayer as my personal prayer over you. Father God, I lift up the reader, and in Jesus' name, I send away any powers or spirits that have oppressed them due to this person and the unforgiveness they have carried. We cancel all assignments in the spiritual realm, and we ask you, Jesus, that your grace would flow to the reader. I release a new wave of your love over them in Jesus' name, and I proclaim your life over them, that their heart would open to receive your love and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so excited for your choice of forgiveness. You have chosen to live out of your identity in Christ. You are forgiven and have chosen to live that out by forgiving others. You have chosen intimacy with God over your desire to hold on to the past. Those are big steps of healing, and I rejoice with you as you walk in this new freedom. Take a deep breath and feel the lightness of your heart. Breathe and feel the love from the Father flow to you through Jesus. Resources. Forgiveness is no joke. It is difficult yet rewarding work in the area of our own journeys, but it can be extremely difficult to navigate alone. For the resources for this chapter, I want to encourage you that if you feel led to find a Christian counselor close to you, then take that step, especially if you have any kind of abuse or neglect in your past and have not yet worked through it in a formal way, I challenge you to take a step towards healing and forgiveness and reach out to a Christian counselor today. 
Thank you for listening to my story, and especially for listening to the chapters on forgiveness. Remember that chapters 4 and 5 go together, so if you happen to have someone in your life who struggles with the choice to forgive, consider sharing both chapters 4 and 5 with them. Forgiveness is a difficult yet beautiful work that we all need some encouragement in from time to time, especially if deep hurt is part of our journey. I pray blessings on that journey and hope that you have a blessed day in Jesus.